Welcome to this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle get together and talk about politics, current events, and other fun stuff. I'm Craig Huey. I'm Brandon Kinnig. Well, Brandon, we thought Trump's indictment was going to happen last week because he basically told everybody that it was going to happen last week. Right. Thursday night-ish or Thursday late afternoon, it came out that the uh, New York DA Braggs was moving ahead and that Trump is actually now indicted. And Tuesday... Uh, I think at like 2.15 East Coast time, he's got to appear in New York court where I'm assuming he will be fingerprinted, photographed, and then some sort of arraignment procedure will happen where they'll set what's the next phase of of this uh, this process. Correct. And Tuesday, we will learn about the actual charges themselves, too. We know that there are, I believe there's 35 at this point. So So it's it's a lot. And and again, that's significant, the number, in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, falsifying business records. We know that that's really the glue to all of these charges. And, you know, they have some pretty powerful witnesses obviously you know you have michael cohen Mm -hmm. um you have several others connected to trump organization that are working cooperatively with the prosecution on this um so we've talked about like the challenge here in terms of threading this needle in terms of like you know bringing something to stick with the federal charge um which still is a challenge but the one positive for the prosecution is that they have so much cooperation from people who were very intimately involved in what went down um with the the stormy daniels um, yeah. hush payment. Yeah. So we're, we're finally here. We're at the phase of Trump is going to face legal criminal action. And you know, what's I just, I unbelievable to me is it Trump's people, apparently from a lot of the chatter, several of them thought at this point, like charges weren't even going to happen. And so they thought because it didn't happen last week, so that they weren't going to happen at all. And so I've heard that they were caught off guard by this. And again, it just shows you the silo that the Trump, the MAGA universe is in, even the closest advisors to Trump, that they somehow think that he's just, you know, indestructible and like that this wasn't going to happen. And it is now. And and I I suppose because somebody like Trump has been able to get through his entire career without really facing accountability on multiple fronts. Uh, And so there is an element of there's people that are like, finally, like this yeah. is and again, this is only the first and we need to recognize that this is going to be like indictment season. So as we get oh, into yeah. April and May, when we look at Fulton County with um, the election interference, we look at uh, Jack Smith with the DOJ and their case on January 6th, um, the case against uh, the um, Trump organization itself. And then there's also now the case with um, Trump's the uh, the social media platform too, truth, which there's yeah. a truth social, which is getting um, sued. And so there's multiple cases. There's five altogether that are going through the courts. That, that was my face for, I might sneeze here, Brandon, keep, okay. keep talking, but, keep right, talking, yeah. but I, I think yeah. I got it here. Let, let me start you off with this question. The day that Trump took the oath of office to become president of the United States, what do you think were the percentage odds that he was going to be indicted at some point in time? 87%. Yeah. yeah. And that was before, That was before everything, right? I mean, that was before all of the norms being broken. That was before trying to extort the leader of Ukraine and and get dirt on his political opponent, Joe Biden. That was before, I mean, January 6th. I mean, there's just... We didn't even have like any of that yet. And yet there was that general consensus that it was only a matter of time. It was was just a matter of time. The day he took the office, you knew he didn't understand the complexities of the office, the legal obligations of the office. And to your point, he's gotten off of everything he's ever done from the time he was born to the time he's now an ex-president. I think that 
my point here is that I think a lot of for a lot of people, this was baked in the cake. You, if you're a Trump supporter, or even if you're, I'll put myself in the category of a never Trumper, you kind of knew that the odds were high that we were going to have a legal battle at some point in time over something Trump did as as president or after his time or during his time or running or whatever is going to be. We are going to have some sort of indictment of Donald Trump. I think what the Republicans might learn, the lesson they might, might take away from this, Tuesday will be interesting to see what type of protests that are out there. Did you watch Fox News at all on Thursday night? I, I did not. I, I read clips and highlights of some of the reactions by some of the pundits, people like Tucker Carlson, that who essentially uh, hinted that there would be violence. Oh yeah, uh, because of that. Yeah, I mean Jesse Waters was just just begging for some sort of protest, some sort of of reaction. It continued through Hannity. And I think in a lot of times they were surprised that you didn't see mass protest in New York and in Mar-a-Lago. I don't think you're going to see a lot of people on the streets Tuesday um, in New York or in Florida when, when Trump is, is indicted. I don't think you will. But yeah. I do want to take a moment to just say like some of the incendiary reaction to this is just so unbecoming, even from yep. people that we would expect it. Like, again, Lindsey Graham, who, again, has no moral compass. This was a guy who – in 2016, warned us about Trump and said that he would shred the Constitution and he'd be a disaster. And you're still right, Lindsay. You're still right. But Your first thought was still the best That was one. accurate. But yep. then he became a sycophant, and then he had a crisis of conscience after January 6th <laughs> that was very brief until he was confronted at an airport. I was going to wonder what you were going to call that, crisis of consciousness. Okay, I'll, I'll give that to Lindsay. Yeah, All right. because he did speak out, and he's like, he's like, this is it for me. I'm done. He basically said he was off the yeah. Trump train. He was confronted by angry MAGA people at D.C.'s Reagan Airport, yeah. and then he switched Back for to, that. Yeah. So he tweeted out this week, and again, whether it was flippant or a joke, like completely unbecoming of a U.S. senator, basically saying that Trump should go into the streets and punch a cop oh, yeah. and set yeah. fire to buildings, and yeah. then he would have get arrested sure. if he did that. Yeah. I mean, let's just step back and realize how out of the norm it is and how just effing insane it is for a U.S. Senator, senator to, to tell say the that? ex-president of the United States. To punch States. a cop it's in just, the face? It, I mean, yeah. can you imagine if a Democrat made that type of uh, statement, even if it was in a flippant or sarcastic way? The Republicans would be hounding them. Yeah. And this is what drives me crazy because there is an opportunity right now for the Democrats to turn the whole law and order narrative back on the GOP and say, hey, you guys are, you know, say you're about law and order, but you're not. Like, you're putting out these flippant tweets, you're yeah. instigating violence. You had Rand Paul that basically said that the yeah. DA Alvin Bragg should be arrested yeah. and jailed. Like, wh- where is the uh, law and order? What what happened to, you know, let the court system, you know, let everything play out in court instead of coming and prejudging everything? You haven't even heard the charges yet. And you're saying that this is all a political witch hunt. Like, <laughs> and, it, and the Republicans have turned this into... This is Trump against the entire legal system. Yes. The entire legal system has turned its barrels towards Donald Trump. From the DA to the DOGA, DOJ to the FBI, this is a conspiracy to get the former president that every single government law enforcement agency is in on. And, and this is why – like. Uh... Like the the news shows and the the anchors that question some of these Republicans, I would like for them to just like cut through kind of the the BS talking points and like put them like in the hot seat and say, is it possible that Trump actually did something wrong? Like setting aside like your 
presumption of this is all biased and all political. Like, can you even entertain the notion that something illegal was done and and needs to be investigated? Like, I would really want that to be at the forefront because if you notice, they don't entertain the charges at all. They're not actually fighting back against the charges. True. They are basically just uh, going on offense saying that the, the DA is backed by Soros, that he's a hack, that he's a Democrat, it's all. But th- the fact that they won't even go to the heart of what the charges are show that they can't defend Trump and I wish at a every, core level. I wish every Republican, when he said he's a George Soros backed DA, would take the period off and put the comma and give us the second part of the sentence, what you really mean, and he's a Jew. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's really yeah, why. Yeah. I you're mean, saying. it's the underlying anti-Semitism yeah. behind yeah. that. Just I take wish. the period off and say he's back, George Soros, comma, and he's a Jew. And I think you would really let people know kind of what you're what you're going for at that point. Yeah. And Soros didn't give money directly to Bragg. He donated to some progressive DA stuff, and they uh, some doled money out of that donate to, to Bragg. And, that, and, and that's what Republicans do, right? They turn feather and say it's a. And to some degree, Democrats do this when it comes to the Koch brothers and tie the. Sure, Republicans. we have our own side that we do but, it too, but. The fact that like they're using that as like the impetus that somehow Bragg and Soros are buddy buddy is just not yeah. even factually like correct. Bragg any... called him and told him, right. I-, "I want this done." And I, they leave out the fact too. There's so much, so much illogical because they're like the DOJ passed on this, and that, well, the DOJ. If you look at what they were analyzing, I mean, they didn't really have the authority to do this. That's why the Manhattan's DA's office is doing this. It does fall under their umbrella, and the DA before Bragg was actually looking into this. Um, he left the office. Bragg, yeah. you know, assumed the office. Uh, there were several assisted DAs that thought the case was strong enough, and that Two Bragg was quit. moving fast so enough, bad. and they quit and resigned so this isn't just one renegade da either we're talking about an office where there were multiple assistant da's who believe the case was very strong and have supported you know the prosecution this effort but again all of that gets left out and I, i do wish there was more of a the resetting of the narrative to give clarity because the republicans it's all the same line and they just keep going on and on with it and something that, that infuriated Democrats the entire time Trump was in office, Trump would do something terrible. And the Democrats would look to the rest of the country and say, is this, is this time? Is this enough? Have you seen enough? Is this the straw that's finally going to do it? The basic calculation that they, they missed was this was all baked in the cake the second Trump came down the stairs. Right. I mean, Trump made no bones about it, about who he is. Well, <laughs> and he sold that off as part of his strength. And in some ways, that protected him from anything from his own party. How many times did you get calls, texts from a friend of yours that says, okay, I know you know something about politics. Explain this to me. And how does he survive this one? All the time. Constant. I think Republicans are going to maybe learn a little bit of that lesson in the response from the base to Trump's rest we knew this was coming this was baked in there's really no need to get out in the streets on this one yeah i think that's true and there is something more than mildly ironic about the fact that republicans are playing the victim here and the victim card that trump is just a victim of this political witch hunt and that it was always baked in when trump himself more than any other candidate or elected leader in history has gone after and called for uh the courts and the judicial system to target his political opponents going back to barack obama to hillary clinton to joe biden at every turn, Trump has called for his political opponents to be jailed, to be incarcerated constantly. constantly. And so, I mean, that is the epitome of political 
witch hunting, sure. right? When there's no basis for it, and you just are calling for your political opponents to be jailed out of political necessity so you can get elected. <laughs> and and here, you know, and suddenly he's the victim, though. Well, I, I said last week that if I were Bragg, I would not bring this charge. Right. I would hold this in my back pocket. It's the weakest out of And I would wait until Georgia went, and I would be second in, in the shoot. I still think there's some 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 wisdom to that. Yeah. I also think that Bragg made a phone call to the Georgia DA and said, how long am I going to be on this limb by myself? And I think she said, don't worry about it. You're not going to be out there long. My point is, I think within the next seven to 10 days, oh, yeah. Georgia will indict. And Bragg knows that's going to take a lot of the heat off of him. He's going to have to take the initial hit with this. And if this is just Stormy Daniels, I, that is going to lead into that fire of, is this really what we're here about? $130,000 to a porn star? If it's more than that, if it is 34 counts, and yeah. those, 34 count, those 34 counts could be 34 well, that's why I think separate checks he wrote to Michael Cohn for Stormy Daniels. <laughs> Correct. We don't know. We don't know, but I think it is telling. The fact that there are 35 charges, like, that is not insignificant. That does lead me to think, and we don't know the details, that there's more to this. And this all happened in the context of an election season, too. mm -hmm. And so you can't leave that out. If it was the Stormy Daniels hush payment um, outside of the political campaign— that would be one thing. But in the midst of a political campaign, when there are disclosure requirements, we've talked about how John Edwards yep. others have faced similar issues over this in the course of a campaign. Like you're talking about actually misleading voters, falsifying records, um, you know, and and you can try all you want to draw these bright lines between what is campaign money and what isn't. Um, but when you're in a campaign, it's a very different scenario. Like you, you have to be by the books and if you are not declaring uh, funds like this, I mean, you're typically in violation. But in many ways, this is an intent crime. Right. What did Trump intend to do when he paid Stormy Daniels? Was it, I'm doing this so I don't embarrass my wife, who, by the way, is at home with our newborn child, or am I doing this to help my presidential campaign? And I would have to think it's the latter because, I mean, you can't tell me that Melania didn't know about this before. (laughs) Intent crimes are very difficult to prove. prove. Brandon, complete this political phrase for me. It's not the crime. It's the – It's the cover-up. It's the cover-up. Yeah. Every single politician since Dixon has heard that phrase. This is, again, where Trump's just general lack of curiosity uh, and stupidity really gets in in the way. It, it's Trump doesn't know enough about how to keep himself out of trouble as a president or next president, and that's really what this case is about, and that's what the Mar-a-Lago. Well, he never case thinks that far ahead. It's about. always about short-term, yeah. you know, satisfaction, gratification for him, and he doesn't think about the long-term implications. So back to the point we're talking that one of the reasons people may not protest is that this was baked in the cake. We knew this was coming. No big, no big deal. Yeah. The second reason you may not see a lot of people protest is the last time everybody got together on January 6th when Trump needed some help, there was a – I think there was a very, very uh, grounded feeling by those people that were there the 6th that there was a government presence in that crowd that purposely led them to do certain actions that has since gotten people in trouble legally. Oh, yeah. That conspiracy is then very why strong. am I going to the courthouse Tuesday I think to that's put myself through the exact same thing? Right. In some ways, you've 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 pumped your pace full of so much poison around the six and around this idea that the government was involved in leading that 
that you may not have the level of support that you think you do. Where, and they realize that the government is a plane around. You have over a thousand January 6th protesters that have been charged and have been sentenced. I mean, that's, that's a not a you know low number at all. And you know, and whether it's a couple months or it's a year or two, I mean, I think the highest sentence was like five years. Like that's going to deter many people from getting out there who otherwise would. So I, I think there's a lot of validity in that. And New York City's not going to be cut off guard by this. No, they the know NYPD this is, is prepared. Coming. I mean, they have set everything up. It's not going to be like what we saw with Capitol Police not yeah. having the reinforcements. I know Marjorie needed. Taylor Greed's going to be at this rally. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of anybody else that's showing up on No, that's Tuesday? interesting. I, other mm. than her, I haven't heard any big names say that they're going to be there. There's a lot of tough talking sure. from Republican leaders, but I don't know any others besides, you know, MJT. So even folks like Gates, Gosar, <laughs> people like that, even they're smart enough to think back and say, hmm, the last time Trump this didn't really go well for me. Go, yeah. I might want to sit this one out and see what happens here. It's it, it does me no it does me no harm to support him from saying this is a bullshit charge and Bragg shouldn't have done this and they are targeting and this is political. Everybody gets to say that on the Republican side all the time, and there's no punishment. There, there's no price to be paid for that. Well, and, and there's barely like I feel like even the pushback from like mainstream media is fairly muted at least more than it should be uh when it comes to some of this i there's a lot of controversy you were talking about marjorie taylor green so she i haven't seen it yet i think it drops tonight on 60 minutes she does this interview with leslie stall yeah and there's been a lot of criticism that she's getting this oversized platform that she as somebody who is very extreme has said a lot of just completely batshit crazy things she should not be elevated with this platform on a mainstream news magazine tv program like i kind of agree with that which i kind of agree with too like why again you're just propelling her even more to the forefront as somebody who could be a leading vp or presidential candidate when somebody like that who has views that are so far outside the mainstream they're abhorrent i mean and i think in many cases like on racist and fringe views yeah like they should be ignored and marginalized you should be amplifying those views and so it's but that's where we are, right? And so there's this kind of irresistible nature when it comes to the media because of the ratings aspect that they elevate some of these people, um, even when they don't necessarily agree with their views, but they know that they'll drive viewership. I guess back in my day, and I listened to the podcast last week where, God, I sounded like an old man. Everything was, this was better back then and all that shit. Back in the old day, the theory was put the kook in front of the camera. Put yeah. the kook in front of the camera and let everybody see exactly who she is. That doesn't work anymore. No, because it gives her an aura of uh, normalcy and, cre- and credibility that she otherwise would have because she can point like, oh, I'm not just going on Fox and on, uh, you know, these uh, OAN and Newsmax. Look, here's 60 Minutes and I'm talking with Leslie Stahl. Yeah. I mean, it gives her this, she can make a case that she has this broader appeal yeah. than she actually has. And and she's already started to do that. She's tweeted out multiple times about the Leslie Stahl 60 Minutes and, interview. And that's the difference. If this were 1983 yeah. and some whack job congressman from Georgia made his way to 60 Minutes, it would be, very look different. how kooky this is. Right. The population watching it would have been the 2 million people or whatever, 5 million that they would draw who watched the broadcast on Sunday night. And that would be the end of it. Now, this will be digested through clips through the internet for years to come. Yep. It's almost like CBS doesn't understand how the nature of the rules have changed 
and how they have to change to accommodate that now. And those clips will be edited. They'll be spliced. Correct. They will be um, embedded in other larger montages uh, that are fawning over uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like, it, it's going to have a life an afterlife that just supersedes all of us, right? I mean, that's a thing. That's what's and, different. And when you interview somebody like that, how much are you going to hold her to her feet to the fire for what she has said? Yeah. Because if I were interviewing MTG, that would be the entire interview. You've said these crazy things, this crazy thing that we're going to go point by point. What do you mean by a national divorce? We're just going to take these things because to me, the benefit would be to the American people. What does she really honestly think? Yeah. And just the honest, straight questions. This smells like a complete political grift. You're going to have to convince me and the American people it's not. Yeah. Well, and, and that's one of my biggest gripes with, I think, our modern-day media is, as you've uh, insinuated, they are so far behind in understanding where people are and how media is consumed. They don't get aggressive enough as they should, not compared to, like, foreign media. And yeah. I think with some very few exceptions, I think Jonathan um, – Swan with Axios is a really good hard-hitting interviewer. If you've seen some of his interviews yeah. he did, like he interviewed Trump back in the pandemic in 2020, like he will just go after these politicians. He'll cut them off. He'll keep like until they answer a question, he'll force it. You know, where a lot of other interviewers, they give up. Um, if a politician doesn't give a straight answer, they just move on. And I think that's a problem. And that enables some of these people like Marjorie Taylor Greene to continue to build their brands, build their profiles, not yeah. face accountability, even when in front of a mass audience. And I and that's what I'm afraid of is, that, again, I haven't seen it, but that Leslie Stahl isn't going to challenge her enough and get her on the record. And instead, it's going to be an interview that's pretty much led by Marjorie Taylor yeah. Greene and not by the interviewer. And she has learned from Trump, and she might be the only person, I think, who, who's learned this lesson to this degree. Trump knows what I say has a, as soon as I say it, it loses all of its impact, and we're on to the next thing I say. Yeah. All of the, all of the stuff on Truth Social, that if that were laid out in front of people, you would say, this man's a lunatic. Yeah, he's Not only certifiably should he never insane. be president, he needs to go to jail. He needs, he needs to be Put away. That this, type of guy would not last as CEO of a major no, company. He called for the suspension of the Constitution to put him back into right. the White House for an election he lost. Now he's bitching and playing the law and order card. Nothing matters. Nothing has a shelf life. You never have to be pinned back to what you said before. It's all about what am I saying right now? And what am I saying right now? Is it provocative? Is it entertaining? Does it help you sell subscriptions? Does it get you clickbait? If so, Brandon, we're both winning. What's the point? And it feels like that's where that's where Trump has maneuvered us right back into for his campaign and the series of indictments he's going to have to deal with. Yeah. Don't read the stuff I read on Truth Social <laughs> that talks about all this law and stuff is just bullshit. None of it should account to me. Just give me the presidency and, and let's roll. We're not going to even talk about any of his behavior in those areas. Right. All or of what his, he truly thinks about law and order. His all caps posts where he's promising violence and just mayhem in the streets if this happens, it's going to be catastrophic for our country. Like, I mean, that's lunacy, right? That's the rantings of a madman. It's dumb. But then people aren't going to remember it. No. I mean, e even you and I, I mean, myself, like, I struggle to even remember back, like, what Trump said on True Social, like, six months ago, even as crazy as it was. Can you imagine the average person trying to follow that? I mean, you really need— You can't. You can't. You, you can't ping pong from one lunatic thing he has said to, to the next thing. You but just it's, have to deal with what's in front of you. And it's an intentional— 
thing where you throw everything up against the wall and you just keep moving and it's just yeah. constant barrage of of crazy content knowing that we live in a soundbite society and people move on rather quick attention spans are very minimal and it's just it's not going to resonate whereas if you did put that in front of somebody and if you played them like a five to ten minute montage of all of these crazy posts trumped in yeah. and tied all together people would be like oh my gosh that's yeah. like I didn't know insanity. He said that. yeah so what's your prediction for what happens tuesday trump's already said there's gonna he's gonna surrender rally. himself he's going to new york yeah um of course he wants the mugshot photo taken he made five million dollars on those stupid ass nfts as him as a superhero well and he's what's already, his mugshot nft gonna make well, he's already made uh, so sure if you haven't been following his campaign uh, lindsey graham i think was on hannity or one of the shows like <laughs> asking for people to donate money to crying trump. almost crying, crying. Well, Trump has already made $4 million just since last week, his appeal for money for his legal fund, which, again, this rubs me the wrong way because most of those people that are donating money are people on fixed incomes, on Social Security, older Medicare, folks, older folks yeah. that can't afford it, and they're giving their money to a multimillionaire grifter. <laughs> it's just it's, And how many of those people didn't realize that donation's coming every month? Uh, yeah. What they signed what up for. What happened before with the campaign is where it's taken ACH out of your – account and so many of those people back during the 2020 campaign it took them over a year to get that straightened out yeah. meanwhile they lost thousands that just automatically was removed from their account so yeah that's what you're dealing with and so i do think that in terms of what we see on tuesday i don't expect there to be like a, a large significant i agree um event or yeah. attack um i think there could be a one-off lone wolf type person who tries to do something Ma'am. but i think that person will probably be um alter there'll be an altercation that person will be uh um taken into custody rather quickly uh and uh and so i don't because again i think that the nypd is very prepared for this this time yeah. around unlike what we saw in dc so I don't expect, but we could hear stories about one or two, maybe three incidents of an uh, individual person tr- attempting to do something or parking a suspicious vehicle. You know, yeah. near. I mean, even Alvin Bragg has received tons of death threats. I mean, there was even he received a powdery substance that yeah, turned out to already. be nothing, but it was a you know it was definitely attempt to uh, to intimidate the office. So I mean, we could see something like that. I think there's a protest of under a hundred people. I also think the the judge puts a gag order on everybody, yeah. and that's going to be really difficult for Trump to maneuver around. But the the general attack line doesn't change. It's me against now this entire the entire justice system, right? And the line again is they're really doing this to you for some reason. I'm just your proxy. In 2016, we all miscalculated how effective that was. We thought in some ways it was silly for the New York billionaire to try to connect with the blue-collar Midwest and that he couldn't do it. This is he, really an attack on did. you. They're coming after you. Yeah. After it's worked. Yeah. Everything that he has done and everything that is has happened to him by his own hand since 2016, we can't believe Trump's the stand-in for lower working class. <laughs> that that there's no way that line is as effective. It will still resonate, With but some, it yeah. will not be as impactive as it was in 2016. Just no. too much has happened. And Trump's been responsible for too much of that happening. Correct. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, I guess there's a vein of thought out there among the hardcore MAGA base that um, what Trump could it do in the 2020 general election he could do in 2024 because there are all of these new registered voters now that were not able to vote in 2020 
Yeah. And again, most of these new voters that would not have voted yeah, in but 2020. I've heard this so many times from every party that loses. <laughs> Wait till next time. I've got all these new registered voters. But let's be honest, many of never those, pans out. Many of those that are newly registered or um, or available to vote now yeah. are going to be younger voters who are not going to be. Sure. And where's that Latino wave that happened in in the midterms that everybody said was going right. to happen? I, I just don't. I just don't buy that anymore. Yeah. Again, it, but it, it always goes back. Like I don't see the path forward. If you didn't support Trump in 2020, why would you then support him in 2024? I, I agree. Can you name one person that because of this indictment is going to say, yeah. you know what? I think I need to take a look at that guy. I mean, if anything, he's going to lose people because there is that vein and we don't know what the number is of people who may have voted for him in 2020 that are just Trump fatigue or now they're tired of hearing about his name. They're trying to see him in the news. And again, that may not be very large. But if it's even if it's small and a close election that has impact, sure. I just I don't see where Trump is able to make up the deficit of what he had in 2020 with Biden and somehow make that up fully and turn that into a lead. But where would that come from? And again, the states where we would have seen that happen in the midterms are states like Arizona and Georgia, which Biden flipped. And he those remained in the blue column like those stayed blue. And the Republicans were hoping on the Senate side those would flip and they could have this narrative going in 2024 saying, look, what happened in 2020 was an aberration. Yeah. Georgia and Arizona, um, you know, it was just a, it was a freak thing. We could and turn that around. They didn't. But we're, we are falling right into the trap Trump has laid for us. We are talking about how he is destroying himself for the general election. Right? Yeah. Okay. Trump understands order of operations in politics better than any person that has ever run for any office. He does not give two shits about the general election yet because he knows I got to bury DeSantis in the primary. And what's say first, Iowa. And he is focusing heavily on Iowa. Correct. And who turns out in Iowa GOP caucuses primarily? Old white people. Very old white people, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the oldest of the old The whites. oldest of the oldest. You're talking about, Correct. Um, you know, 70 on up is like the general Have age you seen the, the first commercial he's running against DeSantis on Fox? I heard about it. It I goes seen right it. at his voting record while in Congress over Social Security. Yeah, I expected but, that. Social Security, Medicare. My point being is yeah. I feel like Trump is a lap ahead of us again. Yeah. The the train's not the same in 2016, but he's running kind of a similar process. And we can't lose sight on what he's doing now and how it affects the 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 primary and by extrapolating what it could mean for him in the general. What this does for him right now, I mean, Nikki Haley should just drop out. Asa Hutchinson got in today. Why? Yeah. Mike Pence, no no, Mike Pompeo, everybody else now. Why would you get in the race just so I can talk about Trump for three months? That's really what he's done. He's closed off all the oxygen for any other There's discussion. No, else. Yeah. And brilliantly, and I don't know if he meant to do this, but what, what he has done is forced every Republican of every stripe to support him. I have not heard a single – the most criticism I've heard is let's wait for the facts to come out. He has forced every Republican from Mitt Romney to Lindsey Graham. They have all fallen in line. Even Jeb Bush. All Jeb Bush came out. The today only one and who said, has this is and Aza Hutchison, who the is only been, one. the only one I can think of. But yeah. that's from where he was. You think about where he was after the midterms to that disastrous announcement thing he had. Trump is back to where he wants to be. Yeah. 
This is all very natural and all very comfortable for Trump. He is used to swimming in this water where nobody else is. So right now we are kind of in Trump's wheelhouse and it's going to stay that way probably until my guess would be the Mar-a-Lago indictment comes out. Why can I not say Mar-a-Lago? Why do I keep saying Mar-a-Lago for some reason? <laughs> I think when Jack Smith, if he sets an indictment out, that may change things. Change the state of the race. Well, but and I Georgia think- and Manhattan, the same chalk track folds. All bullshit, all against me. Right. This is, I mean, what's working now successfully for him in New York, he gets to continue on until maybe we hit Jack Smith's indictments. I agree. And I do think those will come sooner rather than later. I think the next couple of months we're going to see indictment after indictment. It's going to be pretty quick. We'll have plenty to talk about on this podcast. And so all that being said, Craig, that begs the question, what does DeSantis do now? I mean, Trump is leading by 30 points in the polls. DeSantis has seen his polling plummet. He is not in the position that he thought he would be or his people thought he would be at this moment. He already, you know, his work was going to be cut out for him in a general election. Now that he has this very difficult primary where he's the um, he's no longer the front runner. Like, what does he do? Does he continue in the race? Does he? So if I'm DeSantis's campaign manager, it's like, well, the last time you made even a mild criticism of Trump and his legal problems when you said, hey, I don't I've never paid off a porn star before, so I don't know anything about this. There was a negative reaction to that. So we've learned that lesson, yeah. that attacking Trump over his legal woes, even if they are legal woes by his own making, you can't that, – that's attacked. We, we can't play. So the lesson we've learned moving forward is we will not attack Trump again. And at least at this stage of where we're at, there's no benefit for, for us to try to go at him in any way. Not only that, I mean, he not only has uh, refrained from attacking Trump, but this past week when this indictment came out, what did he do? He tweeted full support, said this was yep. a political witch hunt. Yep. And he said that Florida would not extradite Trump. I think he said they would not participate in helping help it they okay. won't stop but they're not gonna well so i i yeah I, I so i'm sorry so that's what he sent the tweet but he gave a speech um this past friday or saturday where he actually used the word extradite that they wanted extradite because that was in a speech that came later not in the tweet because i did see that over the weekend so this is my next question to ron as we're running ron how ugly can you get during the primary yeah. Don't don't think about general because again, we have to get through this primary first. What are you willing to do? But are is, you willing to surround Mar-a-Lago, got it right that time, yeah. with state troopers? I need to, we need to know right now what are you willling to, to what do? extent? What are Because the- I hate to Ron, you know this, but if we don't beat him in the primary, President DeSantis is not going to happen. Not going to happen. And the irony out of all this is he's in a somewhat catch-22, this bind, because he can't attack Trump too much because it alienates the MAGA base, but also by just coming to Trump's defense so easily and so quickly, he looks weak from a general election standpoint because he can't be his own man. You know, there would have been, you know, something to be said um, if he had, you know, basically come out and said something, a statement along the lines of, you know, uh, I don't agree with this prosecution when I'm president, I'll pardon Trump, or that basically played into this idea that he's going to be president. And so, but no, and said it, he just took the same line as everybody else yep. 
and, and he didn't differentiate himself in any way. It yeah. doesn't, that's not strong leadership. So, Ron, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay in the pocket where we are right now for the immediate future. There's only two things we're really going to do from campaigning. He was in New York today. Knock that off. All these trips, we're, we're going to come back into Florida, and we're going to – any speech we give, any words that come out of our mouth are going to be strictly in support of Donald Trump and support of Donald Trump by saying what bullshit this, F, this, this indictment is. That's going to be where our entire talk track is, and we'll, we'll attack Biden. That's all we're going to do. I think what, what Ron DeSantis needs is an opponent. His opponent is Joe Biden. So if I'm his campaign manager, it's like, we're going to lay low through this until Biden joins the race. When Biden announces, you're going to announce. Because you can basically say now, I am running to prevent a Joe Biden presidency. There's a reason. There's a mission. We always talk about what's urgent and important that Ron DeSantis is president. I can't think of it right now. Yeah. When Joe Biden gets into the ring, well, he could play what's urgent and important is keeping Trump from the presidency. That's the Democratic angle. So he's going to have to play something different. And I think he'll wait until Biden gets in. But that could be a while. And then you'll see him aggressively attacking Biden. He can't attack Trump. But he, at There's some no, point, on it doesn't the, happen. in the primary debates, he's going to have to. Like, if you're in a primary debate stage, you have to go after your opponents to some degree. You have to set, yeah. make the case for why you deserve to be president over the other guy. He's got five months until the first primary debate happens. So if I'm his advisor, it's let's, let's slow down a little bit. Let's get back kind of in Florida. Let's understand the position that where we're at. And let's wait until Biden gets in or the Democrats or he doesn't get in to really get in and start. We have to have someone to attack. If we can't attack Trump and attacking the rest of the folks makes makes us look like a bully because they have no shot. There's really nothing we can do. Stay in that holding pattern until a clear enemy that you can draw fire on emerges. And until then, it's just misstep after misstep after misstep. And I think he'll wait until he has an opportunity to really go guns a-blazing on, on Biden. If he runs. Yeah. I still think there's a there's a, there's a chance a that he does 15% chance he just sits there and like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to sit here behind this guy. And I think that is more significant than it was you know, a couple months ago. And I would end my talk with Ron to say, Ron, Trump is going to destroy the Republican Party. We knew it the day he walked down the escalator. We're in the fourth act of the Trump saga. There was the rise, the presidency, the election, and now we've hit this pivot point. Is it the fall or is it the comeback? And we really at this point don't know. Until that picture clarifies a little bit, we're not going to do much. Because the opportunity to misstep big and get blown out of this before the fight even starts is pretty, pretty high with Trump. Oh, yeah. And you think Trump's being an ass now. Just wait. He's running He's running ads on Fox News already against DeSantis. He's running ads against his Social Security uh, votes and, and rhetoric when he was in Congress. He is really it gearing started, up to yeah. leg it to him. He also runs an ad where he's in a clown suit talking about, you know, he's such a clown that he won't, won't help Trump save him from this indictment. I mean, the hard part really hasn't happened yet, and it feels like Trump's already got him by the scruff of the neck. So I don't, I'm not sure what DeSantis, or what can he do to break out of that? 
I don't know. I, I mean, don't know. Trump also has DeSantis veterans on his campaign apparatus. Yep. People that worked for DeSantis know him well, so they're going to mess with his head oh, quite yeah. a bit. I mean, these are people that, that know the governor. They know what makes him tick. So that hasn't even started yet. But they are really going to try to get a reaction out of DeSantis and um, and cause him to kind of feed into the paranoia with what Trump is going to insinuate with him and has already started to do that. I mean, he's done that with the photos with the young girls, like the students, and he That's continues so, to milk, yeah. try to milk that. I mean, I mean, at least now going in, I also tell Ron, hey, Ron, you know there is no floor for this guy. Yeah. Remember when he bought the women that accused Clinton of rape to the debate? Get They'll ready. The same, yeah. Those three girls will show up somewhere. Yep. They will get, it's all going to happen. Are you, I'm sure we've talked about this a thousand times. Are you ready for that? Are you sh- absolutely sure you're ready to get those freaked out calls from your wife about this guy is going after our friends, our kids? Mm-hmm. Are you are you all good with that? Because that's the next step. And it's going to be even more intensified because he's under all of this pressure from these indictments. Oh, yeah. Trump is not going to hold back. He never does. If I'm DeSantis, why? Why put yourself why through put that you- and your family? If, and- if, I'm, if I'm off of his, his, uh, his advisor, it's the second option is... We just wait and pick up the pieces after Trump presses the plunger and blows the party up, which that's going to happen. Oh, even, absolutely. Even if you, if DeSantis somehow defeats him in the primary, Trump will run as independent, won't he? Oh, I think so. He's already hinted at that. I, I, I mean, think he's he said will. that he would, yeah. We're, however, this ends up, even if DeSantis, however, this ends up, however, the end game comes into play, the destruction of the Republican Party or the weakening of the Republican Party is. That's going to happen. Right. The second strategy you might have is let's just pick the pieces up after he destroys everything. And so, yeah, bide your time, hold your yeah. fire, wait until, yeah. Do you think Chris Christie's going to run? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, he, he appears to be so. I mean, he's doing this national junket, this tour, and he's going on all the shows. But, God. I mean, he has no chance and no viability no. and is universally disliked. And I, I just don't see... Trump, too, the Republicans are putting together their own debates for the primary, right? Yeah. So you know what questions you're going to have to answer. How corrupt is the DOJ? How corrupt is the FBI? (laughs) Those debates are going to be a disaster. Oh, yeah. I I just don't know after all of this. I I think DeSantis will run now, but I don't know. I I don't think he's going to win the nomination. I think – I do think that this – this is Trump's party now, and this is his race, and I don't really see any way anybody else takes it from him. I don't either. I mean, I, there's nobody right now who can break up that Trump-MAGA coalition. Nope. Until that can happen, um, I mean, he, he has it. And the the striking thing was there's this whole idea that somehow that you need to narrow the field, right? Because obviously the more candidates, then Trump can win with only like 30% each primary yeah. and cruise to being the nominee. But now, even in head-to-head matchups against DeSantis, when other candidates are considered, like he's beating DeSantis by 30 points. So it blows out the notion that even if you just consolidate the field to one opponent, that somehow that person could beat Trump because we don't seem to be in that. That's the thing with the MAGA coalition. There's two ways the MAGA coalition ends. It, it It doesn't break up. It just goes away. Yeah. These people aren't going to pick another candidate who are this far into Trump. No, and like you said, I mean, if DeSantis is— They're they're out of politics. And if DeSantis was the nominee, like you said, 
they wouldn't vote for him. No. And if Trump is running, you can guarantee you that that would be a 30 percent of the vote. We would see something along the lines of like Ross Perot margins yeah. for an independent candidate. And that's the scariest thing. It's not like these people can be redirected somewhere else. No. We've kind of learned that lesson in the midterms. It's him or it's nothing. And right. when he's gone out of the political seen in one year, four years, whatever, those people are not coming back to politics. And just probably. like we saw in the midterm, like hit midterms, like his candidates can win the primaries, but they can't win the general. Yeah. So that's the catch 22 Republicans find themselves in. The other great thing, uh, not great, that, that was the wrong word to say. The other, I said that sarcastically, we had another school shooting. Yes, we did. Uh, I, Nashville Christian School, uh, four people killed? Three children, three adults. Okay, that's right. Three yeah. children, three adults, so six. One yeah. of the adults was an administrator who apparently just charged the woman and got shot at point-blank point, point blank range. Another was a nine-year-old who had the uh, wherewithal to pull the fire alarm, and mm. they shot her while she was doing that. It's it just – it's. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there are no words. Like, what do you say at this well, point? I mean, the only thing I can say is that um, the police did react very quickly in this case, sure. unlike we saw in Uvalde, yeah. where um, there was uh, well-deserved criticism for how the police handled Uvalde, and I hope that those police were also fired and charges come with that, because that was, that was borderline criminal in terms of how so. that was handled. Um, we didn't see that this time. We saw a quick response. But again, we're in the same place where school shootings are now so ubiquitous. Yeah. And we don't even blink twice. I mean, you know, we're, we go every year now we have several. I saw a chart that showed that the school shootings prior to 2005 and then post-2005. And it's, I mean, it's like on a magnitude of 10 times what yeah. we saw from like 1997, like Columbine, when that happened to 2005. Like it's just exploded. And yeah. this is our new normal. I have no venom left for this topic. I mean, to me, and we've talked about this a bunch, my... my not my caring, but my fire for this topic died at Sandy Hook when 26 people, including what, 23, 24 children were massacred and we did nothing. I just don't have anything left on, on this topic. Yeah. I mean, if we could have do anything then, yeah. like what is no. going to cost us? To, and we go through the same routine, no. right? So it's you have all the politicians get up there, offer thoughts and prayers. We have our debates on social media. Uh, we uh, basically Congress does nothing. And then everybody forgets and then rinse and repeat. And we go through this cycle again. And it's the same cycle yeah. every single time. We don't see. I mean, I, I guess the one thing is if you're looking for a glimmer of hope is we did pass the first gun control reform in more than 30 years last summer. Yeah. Um, which is something, I mean, because, and I guess the one thing out of all of that is the uh, prohibition for those that are domestic abusers from being yeah. able to, to get firearms. But, but again, we're talking about very piecemeal, very small, and the grand scheme of things. Yeah. A, I mean, that legislation did not raise the no. um, age for no. purchasing a, a semi-automatic weapon, you know, which is ironic to me. So you had Republicans in Congress that want to raise it from 1821. Florida, in the aftermath of uh, the Parkland shooting, they actually, their governor, who was then Rick Scott, and their leg Republican legislature did raise the age from 18 to 21. So Florida did that on a state level yeah. in response. But Republicans on a national level won't go for that. Florida's red flag laws has been used over 9,000 times to take guns away wow. from people. Here, here's what I find interesting about this, about this particular shooting. The, the both sides have kind of settled into what their arguments are going to be. Yeah. If you're a Republican, your argument is existential evil. These things just happen. People are evil. There's nothing you can do about it. People are going to do bad things. 
they're, they're, it's hopeless to, to, to rail against that. And second, mental health. This is a, not a gun problem. This is a mental health crisis. The Democrats are usually kind of very consistent in their approach. One, it's the gun. It's the sheer presence and the sheer volume of guns and the sheer thing that is an assault rifle that causes this. And two, then they focus on some sort of group that the shooter came from. Yeah. These shooters, they're white supremacists, they're anti-Semites, they're Christian nationals. One of the things that the Democrats do is they, we always identify what potential problem group this person is from. This got switched. The, what's interesting to me about this is that for the first time I heard the, the Republicans now start talking about a group of people, trans people, that should be looked at to why are they doing mass shootings. But not this any is, other group, just trans people. Not any other group, yeah. just this one. Because <laughs> again, this is now the second shooting. The shooting that happened at the, uh, the Colorado grocery store. I think that person declared well, they were non-binary. So that was the gay nightclub in Colorado, Colorado Springs. I thought it was the, wasn't there at a... It was by grocery store. Okay, sorry. Okay, I, I there, there was a grocery store, but I think you're conflating that with the. There was a Colorado grocery store shooting a couple okay. years, two years ago. Gotcha. I've got my shootings mixed. There's up. so many, like yeah. right. It's hard to. So, but no, the the gay nightclub was that was someone who declared non-binary. Although that's where I'm gonna like uh, point of distinction because I don't buy that just because there was nothing unlike this person where there was a history and background to show that they had gone through a transition, said they were, you know. In that case, with the non-binary person, there was nothing in that person's background, nothing leading up to shooting to suggest that they had ever told anybody said they were non-binary. Yeah, but see, my so, side, we can't, we can't play that's that. That's a court thing to we where they're trying that. to, like, yeah. get a lighter no, sentence. We're all about pronouns and, and stuff, so we can't. But, but see, this is a problem with both sides, right? You can't. There's no, like, nuance anymore. It's no. not like being able to no. look at it and say, okay, this situation may be different than this one because, of that like, nobody wants to hear that. But. And I say this switching aside just to show everybody how, how much in bad faith people are arguing yeah. this argument. Oh, completely. And you, I say you can't separate the mental health aspect from the guns because they both feed into each other. Sure. Obviously, there's an issue with people mental health. This person, based on the drawings they, uh, that they did, based on um, what was said to other people around them, had a, clearly mental health issues that may or may not be re- related to the gender dysphoria that they were going through. But this, at the same point, like they were able to get semi-automatic guns, weapons, um, fairly easily. Um, in fact, that they're the parents that even know about. And it all goes back to that. And so we can talk about mental health all day long, but nothing changes with that either. We don't have more mental health funding. Well, we don't have the ability sure. to, you know, keep people on short-term mental health stays, like for their protection or for the protection of others. Like there's nothing legally or regulation, uh, in terms of regulation, that changes that we could be able to proactively, you know, identify people with mental health issues that are on the verge of causing harm to others and, and stop that. So why even draw attention to it if it's not something you're going to realistically put money and effort behind? This is is a great example of things never change when nobody argues in good faith, when you will adjust your argument just to beat the person you're talking to to. deflect, right? Because it's just a deflection to win, to own whatever it is. This is the pattern because you don't your intent is not really to do anything about mental health or, you know, it's just it's to hey, hey, Democrats, if you really gave a shit about this topic, where's the legislation for the moonshot on mental health? Where is the recognition that, yes, mental health is a part of attack it from all fronts? Why not? Why not? If you really gave a shit, which I don't think we do. 
There are things that we could do. John Corbin, on an interview, I think it was with Brian Kilmeade this week, the words came out of his mouth. The legislation that I was a part of has saved lives. Well, God damn it, John. Why can't we do some more legislation? If you have, if, if John Corbin has made the Cornyn. Connect, Cornyn has made yeah. the connection that laws against guns save lives, then we should make sure we have every law we can. Hold them to that. And this That's idea right. that we're, we're only going to go, we're going to go for the impossible, not for the possible. Like, take anything you can get. Like, start looking at incremental piecemeal legislation on mental health front, on guns, whatever it is. But this idea that somehow if we can't get everything, we're not going to go for anything. Like, that's just ludicrous. When people talk about the rot of American society, I generally pull away from that a little bit as that's a little bit hyperbole and they're probably talking to to make a bigger point or they're talking to an audience that wants to hear that it's really really hard to say that one barometer of the health of our society when we could do something about school shootings yeah and we're not going to that's the problem and i do want to just go back to address the common uh, response to, by many Republicans that you said at the very beginning that this is just an intrinsic evil we have to yeah. live with. But the fact of the matter is other countries don't have this like we do. Look at the rest of the Western world. We're just more evil Per people. capita, they do not have mass shootings like we do. If you look at like Germany, like the, their last mass shooting was five years ago. If you look at the Netherlands, yeah. like these countries do not have, and you can go back, and they all have different levels of gun control. But the, the point is they do not have that to the extent we do and it's nowhere near close so we need to look internally there's something that we have that's clearly unhealthy we have within our body politic contagion um a mental health crisis we have a crisis in terms of access to firearms unrestricted and it's combustible those two things together are creating these incidents over and over and over again we've built a whole culture a whole entertainment structure around guns well yeah name the last tv show you watched branded that people didn't get shot yeah, I I can't think. Oh, well, and that's a good point too. That violence wasn't an active part of every plot, Hollywood, of and everything we video do. game industry. Yeah, which you don't see again abroad like you do here. Like it's just it's so much at the forefront of our culture to a degree it isn't anywhere else. And I'm not saying there's a one to one between violent content on TV right. and, and video games and stuff like that. Because if that were true, my son would have slaughtered half of our town. Oh yeah. But what I am saying is, I don't think we can say anymore. Or I think we have to admit, we are a violent society. We are just violent people. And And if you compare that statistically to other Western European and other organized countries, developed nations, that's obvious. And as somebody who has traveled extensively abroad, I can say I feel much safer walking the streets of any European city than I have in most American cities. Like, I do not ever feel like... You know, I'm in danger of like being killed or just like a victim of a random mass shooting. Like that's not the case like I do over here where you have your guard up, you know, constantly. And you're right. There's something about the violence because I saw a a political cartoon, um, which is one of those ones where, I mean, some people might have had the reaction like hashtag too soon, but it really wasn't. But it was on a parent with a child walking away from like mass casualties, all these children dead on the ground. um, And the parent is directing them to a painting of the Statue of David saying, shield your eyes. This is awful. (laughs) Um, And so I think that epitomizes America right now, right? We're so worried about nudity or about about content and books and we're fighting those battles in libraries and look at all the time and effort and exhaustion towards that when if we had one modicum of that towards solving the um, epidemic of violence and 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 gun violence we don't have that and 
it does point to like again this goes back in american history we have this weird aversion to like nudity of any kind and we have to protect kids from that but we don't have that when it comes to violence you don't have parents like complaining about books that are too violent or video games or that this needs to be restricted but it always comes down to nudity and sex is like our biggest thing but not violence which is actually killing us you're right if the teacher just would have shown a video or a painting of somebody shooting somebody that's totally Oh, yeah, you would have had a mass outrage. But since you saw a a naked man in in statue form, teacher got fired, or the principal got fired. Principal got fired, exactly. (laughs) It's just, it's nuts. We're we're just, we have just gone over the edge on on this issue. And there's just, I just don't see anything to bring it, to bring it back. No, because we we talk about these, we talk, again, same prescription, same ideas. Dead children is not enough. No. And in sixth grade, I can remember we had to do a tornado drill one day in school. Mm-hmm. We all had to go out, get under our desk, then we got under a hall. I remember that because we were like scared to shit. We were scared shitless because we're yeah. asking. So one, a tornado can hit here during the day. I never even thought of that. We might have to hide from a tornado. If you wonder why kids are so anxious, nervous, and generally not as mentally healthy, Put them through a couple of active shooter drills yeah. at school two or three times a year. That can't be good for and them. And have suicidal tendencies as they enter preteen yeah. and teen. I was at a brewery. Again, this is a little bit of a, an aside, but I was at a brewery Friday night um, with some friends. And they were drawing attention, I think, for Suicide Awareness Month. And they had some stats on these little like standees on the tables. And one of them was um, that uh, 20% of all high school American high school students, uh, this was as of the year 2021, had had thoughts of committing suicide. Yeah. One out of five. And then you had um, uh, seven, almost 8%, 7.8% had actually attempted suicide. 8% of all high school students. Like, that's just an insane, mind-boggling number. But it does get back to the fact, I can't imagine being a student and today where you have to go through those drills active shooter drills we never did that when i was a kid either because that was still early you know before that era but an elementary school student can you imagine going through that and your thought process and knowing that you're having to prep for something like that and that's all at the back of your mind and then you hear the news stories and like there's no way that you can ever escape it it's always there now i mean in our collective consciousness brandon do you believe that your freedoms and rights in america are protected by citizens owning guns. Do you believe the Second Amendment is what guarantees all other ones? I don't. I believe in the Second Amendment, mm-hmm. basic right to firearms, but no, that is not what guarantees it. It's it's basically the rule of law. It's our constitution, and it's the the government um, and the uh, apparatus of that government that is what protects us. It's not the individual owning a firearms that guarantees all those other rights. I was thinking on the way over here of that question. I've heard that so much off Fox and conservative news. And nobody's ever challenged on it. Like how so? Like explain how that. So my question is, okay, can you point to the time in history that a group of armed citizens stopped the United States military on U.S. soil from taking away your right to free speech? Can you point in history to the time that an armed group of citizens fought off our own government to protect and preserve rights? I can't think of or point to a single time that has happened. I'm sure you can point me to a thousand times in history that an armed pop... But that's my point. Military has grenades. If that's your perspective... We're done. Yeah. There is no arguing. We're there is no way out of this. I just Well, it's not grounded in reality. It's a it's a theoretical right I, I mean assumption that's basically one of those kind of like feel good 
you know, mentalities that they want to believe is true and aspire to, but it's not. I mean, there's no basis for it. Body count doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. 50 people got gunned down in uh, Vegas. Over 50 at Pulse in Orlando. 26 kids. School children. Shot at point blank range. Nothing. Now, I, I have a couple friends that, I have one friend in Denver who just constantly texts me when one of these happens. And I think he gets aggravated at my response. It's like, I don't, I've got nothing for you. There's nothing going to change. Yeah. The, all you can do is wait for the next one and hope it's not as bad. And right. that's about what we're going to do. It's kind of where we're at. Yeah. There was a third topic we're going to talk about. I got so pissed about school uh, shootings. So uh, there was some very uh, interesting and uh, gamesmanship by Disney um, last week <laughs> over right. DeSantis. So we've discussed the saga with this DeSantis, uh, the revenge against Disney for their activism against the Don't Say Gay law. And so they attempted to dissolve the improvement district, uh, one of uh, actually thousands that exist in the state of Florida that Disney managed and controlled to run its own affairs for uh, where Disney World is located. And so Lake Buena Vista and that surrounding area, Disney has basically always controlled that area. So they wanted to yank that. The legislature passed a law that would allow that authority to be yanked, yeah. um, which was established back in 19... Um, it was 40-something, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, 50s, 1950s, late yeah. 50s, when the groundwork was being laid by Walt Disney himself to build the resort down there. Quick uh, trivia question. If it wasn't going to be in Florida, because Florida went first, right? Then California? No, California was first. Okay. Disneyland was 1955. California, gotcha. or uh, Florida was 1971. Where was Disney the World alternate opened. for the first Disney? Sedona, Arizona. Oh, was it? I was going to say, I mean, Arizona would be the next yeah. logical place, right? At the I time mean, in Sedona? All famous old cowboy movies from the 50s and 60s really? were all shot in Sedona. Huh. And that's where he wanted to build the, uh, the, 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 the first Disney World. But he wanted to build it on something now. I think it was a national park at the time, and he, oh, could, okay. he couldn't swing it. But and I was thinking maybe Sedona, he thought that was too close to the no, California one. But Sedona no, okay. was where they wanted to build the first Disney Because there's nowhere else on the East Coast that could really do it weather-wise. Not it would really. work out of sight of Florida. Um, I mean, unless they did it just up the coast into the Carolinas. Carolinas, Yeah. yeah. Uh, So, so interestingly enough, so Disney, this authority was being yanked and, um, the day before Ron DeSantis's, um, basically cronies that he was filling the board with took place, the Reedy, um, Creek Improvement District, Disney put a contract in front of them to sign, which they did, which basically handed over all decision-making authority to Disney for building codes, structures, being able to maintain sewage systems, infrastructure. And the unique thing about this is the declaration was uh, um, stated that this would all remain valid until 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, uh, King of England. Uh, that kid's three right now. Well, and, and so I was I read this and reread this. So 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles, like that's a long time. Yeah. I mean, I can't even fathom. I mean, you could be talking about hundreds of years. I mean, that's the because you're talking about the death of the last survivor of the descendants. Oh, OK. So the youngest one's three. But if they got some kids, it goes on from there. It goes on from there. You. So okay. it's the last survivor of the descendants. So they basically just outsmarted DeSantis. Yeah, completely. And so DeSantis and his people are frustrated. They're going to try to fight this in court but i mean disney really got one over on desantis with this i mean it was a brilliant stroke of genius they had this all worked out desantis was distracted and thought that you know and his people apparently they were not paying attention and following this 
And it's it'll be interesting now to watch this play out because uh, I mean legally this contract is very specific and it's it's a legally binding contract. So first, what Ronnie wanted to do was rip their tax exempt status from them. Yes, uh, which cool. You know, you can do that. You just all the taxes now for this area will be the residents. Yeah, because go to the residents. And all the debt, if you dissolve the the, uh, the, district. the district, then the billion in debt goes to them too. So I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. So there's a board that that runs this, and he basically pulled the five people off of that board, I think, and replaced them with, with his, own, his, own his own cronies, basically. So the governor is now basically appoints the people to this board, which yeah. is a change in norms because these boards were not – were independent of – uh, the local because government. he wants this board to do through taxing, through through tax policy, through what they want to build, the day to days of running a massive park like Disney has there. He wants this board to put pressure on their content yes. by making it more difficult to build and operate the park. That's what he's going. Basically, for. the state government would be dictating those decisions Correct. now rather than the independent board. Yeah, and or through Disney some board, yeah. process that was known to the public, this is just like they follow the same process that you'd have to go through if you wanted to make any change in land. There was like a, a public meeting they had to mm. attend. Oh, yeah. They had to put a notice in the, in the paper. paper. I mean, this is like 1960s shit. I mean, they followed it by the book because, again, Disney was hamstrung at this point because when the legislature decided to change the law to allow the governor to appoint these, they really had no – I mean, there's – they had to just grapple with that. There isn't anything they can really do at that point because they no longer have control of the board. But then, yeah, uh, so if we can't control the board, let's just have the board you know, hand over everything to Disney, the corporation. Yeah. So now instead of having a board that Disney can like – basically control disney the corporation now controls everything just at that level and there's no board as an intermediary yeah. or as a you know it's just it's it's hilarious because you have disney the corporation now uh, you know in control of everything in this area and back to being ron DeSantis' campaign manager ron the, the 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 basic narrative we're running on is that you get things done and you have stopped woke in florida we're going to have a problem with that because all of the laws that you've passed, especially the one, the Stop Woke Act, and now this thing you did with Disney, they've all blown up. The yeah. court is, has ripped apart most of your laws. They haven't passed through the judicial system. They've either been stopped or totally shut down. And now it seems like you got outsmarted by the Disney folks. And you can guarantee the Trump's team is going to go after yep. them on this. I mean, they are going to leverage this to the, to the max. So, Ron, if we lose that narrative— what do what, you have? What do you have left? <laughs> what are we doing? What What do you want to run on? We We can still run, but we got to come up with something else. Poor Ron's. Uh, what it, What was his book called? The Cost of Freedom. Price? Something like that. The freedom to be free, or something like that. Uh, the willingness to be free. It already seems outdated. It just came out, but already in light of like all of these decisions, yeah. I mean, it seems like. And hey, it's Ron, outdated. remember we made that deal for me to be your campaign manager? I could take you back one day and beat the shit out of you for making that Top Gun ad. <laughs> yeah. Remember that one? I, yeah. Um, then remember when I made another agreement, I get to kick you in the nuts one time when you made that video uh, that God sent you to Florida to oh, be a fighter? Gosh. Yeah. Because yeah. let me tell you what, it's not so much Trump that's going to have a field day with them, but all the C players that get in. Oh, yeah. All the C players that get in, they ain't going after the big dog. They're no. not attacking Trump. All of that fire is coming to you. So what are we doing, Ron? It seems like Ron needs a new plan. He does. Like, I mean, it's been one bad news story after the next. Okay, Brandon, you're in uh, How to Run a Campaign School at Georgetown or wherever. Is that where you went to campaign? Uh, George school? Washington George University. Washington. Yeah. 
what okay we're to the class that shit ain't going good the launch isn't what we thought this is way more complicated what does campaign what do professional campaign people do at this point they bring a new staff they clean house (laughs) you know obviously what you have is a working you need a overhaul of your campaign staff i forgot about that that that's the first thing you do is you fire everybody and just completely replace them or at least bring a new leadership who's going to run a tight ship and change things yeah but Part of his uh, his his appeal. Remember the no drama Obama. He's mm-hmm. running under the same thing. Right. You start firing staff and changing messaging. That gets a little bit harder to pull off. He needs a reset, though. I think. I mean, that's definitely something that uh, needs to happen, and I don't know if it will. Brandon, have you watched any of the Royals' first three games this spring? Uh, part of them. It's been bad. Yeah. Let me I, just tell you another hundred. They got their first season. home run today, though. Apparently. Okay. So, I know yeah. we scored a run today, so that was good. After two uh, two shutouts. Yeah. We, we finally was, scored it was a bad. Run, so, looks like the season's going to be another hundred loss season at this point. Yeah. Oh well. World Series dreams are going to die. I tell you, I love that pitch clock thing. Yeah. If any sport or any organization, just in general, says we can't do big changes because people won't like it, baseball is as traditional as a sport gets, and the pitch clock has changed the game tremendously. There's been a lot of controversy on those new rules. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people that are kind of like, oh, you know, that's you're losing the essence of baseball by having just it kind of unrestricted. And- what, what is the essence of baseball of watching a gentleman step out of the batter's <laughs> box after every pitch, take his batting gloves off, put him back on, knock the dirt off his cleat, yeah. step out again to readjust his batting gloves, then step in the box to call time to step out again to readjust his batting gloves and knock the thing off his cleats that's true it does take i I think that and especially today's society i mean once upon a time when we didn't have a lot of other things to do like watching a baseball game for several hours made sense yeah today it means less so so that's true idea to kind of speed it up a little bit and keep it manageable i do have appreciation for soccer for that regard i was watching the sporting casey game yesterday because the clock never stops you know exactly how long it's going to be it's no timeouts you can make a decision. Go see a long movie or watch a soccer game. Yeah. I will. Let's end on the fact that your Creighton Blue Jays got absolutely jobbed. Uh, I, oh, Just my gosh. I was absolutely so, jobbed. I was so distraught and disappointed during that game because – I mean, again, it would have been a completely different outcome if we had just scored another point or two. But to get to that point where essentially we tie it up and then um, we foul within the last seven seconds so that they can then get a basket and then, you know. Why was the ref even uh, reviewing the play? That's what I couldn't understand. I don't either because that call had not been made throughout the game. Like there was that same – uh, you know, foul happened several times. That call was not made, and it was only made at the very end when, like, we were about to go into overtime with a, a tying up the game. Like, ah, oh, it's just the NCAA was so controversial. They actually issued an official statement on yeah. it. Like, it, it was a. Uh, yeah, I have to. I, I kind of. It took me several days to get over that. That would have been our first Final Four. Yeah, this is our first Elite Eight. So, and uh. I can officially say this tournament now sucks. Here's why this tournament sucks: Kansas State. Great tournament. Yeah. Great run. That whole team came to them from the transfer portal, and I think four of them are transferring again. Oh, yeah. Because they've made a name at K-State. There's more NIL money, and there's there's more opportunity waiting for them. Uh, I'll, I'll take the 1992 or 93 tournament where Duke, UNLV... UNC, give give me the blue buds full of uh, five-star recruits that have been there three and four years. I think that um, 
all the changes to college football I like, all the changes to, to college basketball, all the changes just seems to be destroying college basketball a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they really have. And so I and just seeing the last, like, you know, Miami now lose and everything. It's just, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I have no, uh, nobody in the game now, so and I'm just... <laughs> I'm all for kids transferring. Yeah. I, I think I, college, college, college sports in general is one of those organizations that... Every time there's a decision to make, they don't say how much, they don't say let's make more money. They say, how much money could we potentially make? And they follow whatever course of action pays out the absolute most amount of money. Right. And that's, that's okay. That's one way you can do it, but you can't have college, all college sports aren't these little regional things that people really fall in love with anymore. No. And it doesn't create any stability for schools no. at all either and hey if you don't teams. want kids to transfer in one year and play again it's an easy rule to make coaches follow the same rule yeah if a coach does changes he can't coach for a year it seems like that would Pretty solve the simple. problem every time it's hey coaches if you just did this we the coaches are always no we earned this none of this falls to us right god got anything else to talk about or is that our hour uh, i think that might be it <laughs> it's That's our, our hour. hour thanks brandon thanks craig Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week.